History is written by the winners. But who talks about the losers? We do. I feel like you did this same cold open last year. I, I might have. I don't know. I, I still like doing it. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Tim From inside the centre square. Well, with that, welcome to our second annual edition of So You Didn't Crack the Eight here on Americans Watching the Footy. Benjamin Castle here alongside my brother Ethan, who did that cold open, probably again. And just like we did last year, this is going to be a two-part post-mortem on the 10 clubs that will not play into September. So the way this works, we're going to kind of run down each team's season, talk about pros and cons... Things that happened, things that went well, things that didn't. Expectations versus reality. We'll take a look back at our sleeper picks for the year as well. Maybe look at some players that even we slept on. And as usual, we're going to do this randomly. And I actually have a spinner this time. So I will randomize that, click that, and get us going. We begin with Richmond, who may or may not be searching for their new coach still. Andrew McQualter definitely put up his hand, but going 7-6 and six isn't the greatest of results, especially given the talent that's there on the list. Then again, there were some key injuries throughout the season that may make that decision a bit more difficult. Remember, Josh Gibkiss didn't play all year. Neither did Robbie Tarrant, and then he retired. Tom Lynch didn't play after round four, and he was the one that kicked the game-drawing goal in the first game of the season. I still cannot believe that the season started with a draw. We should have known then that we were in for an extremely weird one. It was a weird season for Richmond, and I think of these 10 teams, this is the one that I have the fewest conclusions about. Well, part of that does come from the coaching change, and I guess the coaching vacancy that's open at this point. Damian Hardwick went 3-6-1 and one in his 10 games. It was pretty set on leaving after dream time once Toby Nankervis came back in, and uh, that's where their long streak ended. My confusion with them... Doesn't really just come from that, though. It's so much on the list that I don't quite know what to think of, other than that Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper were really good. Definitely made their side of that trade look a whole lot better, even if they're going to be without their first-round picks for this year. Taranto was a surprising miss out of the All-Australian team and the All-Australian squad. The only Tiger to make the squad of 44 was Dustin Martin. Yeah, Taranto needed to be on that list. That Really surprised me. Torano added Tim Kelly. I think there were a lot of places he could have worked it. I thought he would have been in contention for the 22. I think a lot of it came down to, I mean, he was a great fantasy hall. Yes, he was an early pick for me, and that served me very well throughout the season. Pat's self on back. But it's his efficiency that was an issue, I think. A lot of turnovers, a lot of just ineffective disposals. And I, and I think that's where people's opinions of him soured. 
I think a lot of that also just came from being a high activity guy who just had the ball a ton. You know what? No, I got it. Tim Taranto is the 45th best player in the AFL. Yes. 106 spots higher than some people thought. This team went 10, 12, and 1. They ended up finishing 13th on the ladder, percentage at 93.6. It was really evident after the round 20 loss to the Bulldogs that this team was just about done for, which was a weird one where they decided to rest both Cochin and Martin. And then the loss to the Saints next week really officially finished it off. They also had a five-game losing streak for rounds three through seven. You may remember this team had a lot of trouble in close games, including a round four loss to the Bulldogs and a one-point dream time loss to Essendon. Finally cured that with a win at GWS in round 12. I remember Marlon Pickett had the winner there, and then a week later, he got arrested. That five-game losing streak rounds three through seven, I guess should have been a sign of things to come that they weren't getting back to the league's elite with the losses to... Four of the top nine, Collingwood, the Bulldogs, Sydney, and Melbourne before shitting, well, not their bed, just whoever's bed it is at Marvel Stadium because they hate going there against the Gold Coast Suns. And that's going to be even funnier next year when Damian Hardwick will almost exclusively take his sons to Marvel Stadium outside of probably one trip to the G and probably against Collingwood, given that it was Carlton this past year. Yeah, that's a really funny little layer to this. I'm not sure what sort of changes are to come at Richmond, which honestly, that like sets a really bad tone for what the rest of these recaps are going to sound like with all the, um, I don't know that I'm kind of doing here. But I promise you, I have more concrete opinions about other teams. This is one that is just like, you know, are they, I assume because of that trade, they're not looking to do like a deep rebuild and they've got a lot of young pieces on the list. It's just like, what, what do you shake up? Where do you make your moves as you're continuing to get younger? Well, I think if, if they're sticking with McWalter, he definitely showed his hand in terms of a few things. Dustin Martin returned to form under McWalter. As I said, he was the only member of the club to even be named to the All-Australian squad. Missed out on the team, probably because his first half of the season wasn't as strong. Got disposal numbers in the high 20s, occasionally the 30s. In that higher forward role, would have liked to see him in some center bounces more, especially in Cochin's absence. Liam Baker's versatility was a weapon all year. Ended up seeing him play a bit more in the back half than in the forward half, but a good winner of the ball for a small player throughout the year. I think the most pleasant surprise for Richmond this year that wasn't one of their debutants was Jack Ross, who I didn't think of as being near the 22 at the start of the season and solidified his spot in the 18, honestly. I think my pick for their most positive surprise, because this is tough. I think Ben Miller, just because my perception of him really improved as the year went on. I think Ben Miller was actually my sleeper pick. I remember at one point this year, you were really critical of him, and then he, he really got it together. He did get it together a bit, didn't get a huge number of games in, but got better by foot, scored a couple goals on occasion. He was my sleeper pick. I just thought that I thought that he'd have more prominence in the ruck, but we turned out to see more of Samson Ryan at the start of the season, and then Yvonne Soldo once he got healthy later on. I think their ruck is in a really interesting spot between Miller and then Soldo, who's out of contract after next season, 2024, as is the case with Nankervis. Now, I expect Nankervis, the, the co-captain, will obviously stay. And Soldo was played as a resting forward for the later part of the season as well. He was one of a couple changes there that you saw in the forward line late. I'll mention the other in a second. 
Samson Raw, just an interesting ruck forward prospect out of Queensland, kicked three goals with his first three kicks, but those came in his second game. And I don't believe that had ever been done before. But once Soto came in, he was squeezed out. I'd like to see a lot more of Ryan moving ahead. I think he's got some really interesting upside, and it's just a matter of where do you fit him in the 22. We'll see what happens with Tom Lynch's future as well, because maybe that'll determine things. And then if Noah Balta stays forward, then maybe that throws another wrench in the plan to get Ryan some more forward time, because Balta could take some rough contests, and he was trialed at forward for the last few rounds of the year after really getting punked a couple times in the back half late. I remember Harrison Petty and Max King kicked some bags on him. I think they they both kicked six each, I believe. I mean, as you look at this list and look at what pieces are going to be there, there seems to be more room defensively. And defensively, the, the best surprise for me was one of the debutantes. They debuted six players this year, and I have a, just thoughts on each of them. Um, Tyler Young was in from the beginning, and he already looks like he could be the centerpiece of a new back six for them. Young often didn't get that main assignment early on, then ended up shifting onto people like Max King mid-game, and he shut King down once that happened. I don't think King got another touch in that rematch that they had against him round 22. So that was a huge positive there. Still a lot of room to grow as a first-year AFL player, obviously. He got some good two-way runners and wingmen in Sam Banks and Matthew Coltard. Coltard, their mid-season addition from Glenelg in South Australia, had that great impact as a sub in the comeback against Hawthorne that kicked his first goal the next week, I believe. Keen on seeing more of him. Got a versatile forward in Jacob Bauer, who did his hamstring after two touches in his first game, but showed well otherwise kicked a few goals. And then this past week, Sunday afternoon against Port, they debuted both Tom Brown and James Trezice. And I liked Trezice, was an active interceptor, I think was afforded that spot because of Balta moving forward. So they got some pieces to play with there. You've also got Hugo Rousmith, who's very versatile and is really your pet project when it comes to Richmond. They've got a whole lot on the younger side. I think of those guys, Coltart was the one who I was most interested in. I think he could kind of do some work at the half forward, maybe even slide into a midfield role at times if needed. Not sure about doing center work, but a wing or a flank role could suit him well on the smaller side. Maybe have him linking up with guys like Ross, for example, or Liam Baker, perhaps, if he goes on the outside. There are a lot of possibilities there. They're at a crossroads in the organization where they may not think they're fully out of the premiership window yet, despite this huge transition that's coming in their list. Kind of like Geelong in a sense, but more extreme and further trending toward the younger side. Uh, did we talk at all about which players on this team we were kind of underwhelmed by? Because I got, I got a couple of candidates, so why don't you go first? Narrow it down for me. Well, when it came to the defensive job, I mentioned Noah Balta already. He's, yeah, he's spread out. I was hoping for more out of Morris Rioli Jr. this year, and I'm thinking maybe Liam Baker's versatility, as well as some of the other smalls getting more time, maybe slid him back. He also dealt with some hamstring issues during the year, so Morris Jr. is one that I'd point out. I'd say on the older side, Dion Prestia wasn't as consistent, though was able to put up touches in the 20s and 30s sometimes. I'm still a big believer in Prestia. Uh, I feel like he had a pretty solid year. Cam McIntosh didn't turn it on until late. He actually finished the year better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, he kind of, he, he really redeemed himself down the stretch. Going back to the younger side, I guess I expected to see a bit more out of Noah Cumberland this year, but it looked like for a while he was just playing behind Dusty, and then his decision-making still isn't there, unfortunately. He plays 
purely on instinct and his instinct often isn't the greatest. Those were guys that I would have considered most of, um, especially Rioli and Cumberland. I would like to see Hugo Ralph Smith play more, but I think my disappointment out of this team, I'm going to go with Tyler Sonzi, in part disappointed with him for not being in there more, and in part disappointed in the VFL Tribunal for downgrading his suspension to three weeks when it should have been five. I don't know how you change that from severe impact to high impact, but that's, I mean, he clearly hit him on the chin. That's the sort of thing that should be remembered. And you know what? I'm going to call out one of their captains as well. Dylan Grimes. Regressed a bit in the later part of the season. Saw him giving up some more frees. I'm wondering how much more he has to give at this point at age 32. A number of triple premiership players remain on this list, and Grimes may be the one that I'm most concerned about heading into 2024. Just to run down on a couple other players real quick. I may have underestimated Jack Graham a bit coming into this season still. He played above my expectations more often than not. And then if there's one player who can take both mark of the year and goal of the year in one season in the AFL right now, it is Shea Bolton. I will pencil him in for All-Australian for one of the next two years. All right, let's uh, spin the wheel again. Yes, this is actually a digital wheel. Stunning. Brave. Yeah. Let's go for it. Team 2 of 10, 2 of 5 for this episode. The West Coast Eagles. I was hoping to have a lot to say, but this is going to be much more you. I'll try to chip in where I can, but this is like, that's right, folks. It's going to be a Benjamin episode. Here's the clicker. Wouldn't blame me if you used it. Wait, why is this storyline all about me? What, are we giving Ethan's voice a rest? The Eagles finished in 18th. They went 3-20 and at a whopping 53%. Their three wins, round two against the Giants, round 20 against North, and round 23 at the Bulldogs. Benjamin listens, they're all strange in their own right. I don't think the win over North was necessarily strange. Uh, I, I found it strange just because of the way that game turned. Just It seemed to turn pretty much every quarter, but maybe that's just something that happens with weaker teams playing against each other. Looking back at that game, the Eagles really dominated the first. North had a better second quarter. Then were held scoreless in the third, and the Eagles only scored a point in the fourth, but held on. So, yeah, that one was pretty strange there with how quickly it turned. But being the Giants actually, I guess, is somewhat ordinary, except for the fact that this was an eventual finalist that they beat. And then against the Bulldogs, they ended up helping shut the dogs out of the eight, which in the long run is probably good for the club, as I'll mention whenever they come up in this whole post-mortem series. But it, it in that Bulldogs game, we did see some good planning, some good coaching in that. For one, Jack Darling played very closely to Liam Jones that whole game. And, you know, Adam, Adam Simpson realized and the coaching staff realized you play one on one against this guy. It limits him severely. And they used their secondary target to do that while keeping Oscar Allen. But this was Allen's first year as the primary target with Josh Kennedy having retired and with Darling just getting older. This was the year of Oscar Allen, if you want to look for the biggest positive out of this team. Oh, he ought to be the captain. He was tied for fifth in the Coleman, kicking 53-23. Despite not being 100% all year, you saw his, his right shoulder strapped up all year, maybe some subluxation concerns there. Name this guy the captain. He is all in on this club. He's talked about willing to see things out like Mark Lacroix, among others, did. He is fully committed, and I think the players rally around him because... The games where he was the stand-in captain when Luke Shuey was out seemed to be some of their best games. I am not an Eagles fan, and I was like, 
ready to run through a brick wall for this guy. I think that that tells you all you need to know. Allen played every game this year. You could not say that about any member of the Eagles last year. So that right there is an improvement. The injury list did pile up, though. A lot of soft tissue stuff. And it got to the point that they decided that they were moving on their head of performance at the end of the season. That decision was made back in June. So hopefully there are more changes to be made in strength and conditioning from there because it wasn't just the older guys who had these issues. Even the first-year players like Ruben Jinby and Elijah Hewitt had issues. At least when Brady Hoff was out of the game, it was because of a fuck-up with his own asthma medicine. That is still one of the funnier things that happened this season. Good on the Eagles for being accountable for it, though. And maybe he had to be out the next week because of that as well? I'm not sure. But you know me, I am the Brady Hoff supporter. And even in what I believe was an 81-point loss to the Brisbane Lions, I saw a huge positive out of that game and that Brady Hoff held Charlie Cameron goalless. I did not think of Hoff as a great one-on-one defender before that. In my opinion, there shifted dramatically. I still think of him as more of a wing player, but he's had more kind of fullback pocket time this year and has shown well against smaller targets. He just needs to stay on smaller targets, and they need more depth back there. They need reliability back there. It was very apparent when any one of Jeremy McGovern Tom Barras, Tom Cole, and Shannon Hearn was out of the team. Cole isn't, you know, a super old player, but his ankle is like 20 years older than the rest of his body. So he's had a hard time getting steady games, and and that's a huge issue, especially with Baga now having retired. And McGovern can still be great when he's healthy. You saw the game that he put on against the Bulldogs. That's a great example of that. They do need to keep moving forward from their premiership era, though. Andrew Gaff can go. He gets a lot of the ball, but I don't think he does a lot when he gets it, and that had been a frequent criticism from Eagles fans and analysts alike. Hang on to Liam Duggan. Still a really strong ball winner. You need support for Tim Kelly there. It can be good running into the 450, both on the inside and outside. Jamie Cripps is a pressure leader and can still bag five goals on occasion. He, I think perhaps his absence was underrated. He broke his ankle as he was uh, tackled in the first Western Derby this year in round three. I mean, that was where the carnage really began. The first Western Derby, the, the Frio home Western Derby. They did add one player on the older side of the list, and that was Jaden Hunt. I like him. Good longer kick. Can run with the younger players. And you need to do things right now to suit those younger players' skills. Ruben Jinby is a tackling machine. He and Elijah Hewitt can win a lot of the ball. Noah Long looks 13, but plays like he's already 24. He's pretty patient, and that surprises me, and I like that about him. He knows how to pick his spots. One of your favorite photos of this year in footy, though, was him with one of his fans, and you're just like, is this his younger brother? Most of the photos of him were funny, just because he looked like baby. And in terms of the goal kicking, there's another piece there that wasn't there at the start of the season. I am surprised at how quickly Ryan Merrick has bought into things, but... You saw him during that one-point loss to Essendon and then the win against North. He is fully committed. I'm, I'm so scared about young Victorian players coming to the club, but it seems like he wants to stick around. We'll see if that's the case for Harley Reed or if they even keep that pick. A whole lot of discussion still to happen there in the next a little under three months. Again, did not watch a lot of this team between their games usually going up against another and their games not being close. But I did like Merrick. You could tell he was pretty gifted offensively. In the last couple of years, they've had that number one pick in the midseason draft, and they hit on him. Just, I call he was hurt. Yeah, did his ACL, 
relatively early on in the season. Still the best number 49 in the league, I'd say. Well, there were only two. In the offseason, we're going to talk about the best player to wear each number during the season. That'll be that'll be a fun one, especially as we get into the 30s and 40s, especially the 40s, because there's some pretty uncommon ones in there. Just from from what you saw this year, do you have any any clear you know improvers or or disappointments? Uh, I I know you've talked extensively about Bailey Williams' improvement, but that's one I'd throw out there. I mean, still not great in headouts, but his footy IQ seems to have grown throughout the season. He was one of the main reasons that they could not win that opening round game against North, a game that they easily should have had, and one that still frustrates me, but just made better decisions the rest of the way. Seems like Adam Simpson, who is sticking around, and probably through the end of his contract, because who else would want to coach this team? Seems like Adam Simpson is committed to to playing Bailey J. Moore forward, so I guess maybe he's wanting Jack Williams and South Australian youngster Harry Barnett who got a debut as a sub this year to get more of the ruck time. I feel very mixed on that. I think a lot of it will come down to Barnett's development. May, if he has a particularly good summer, maybe, I think he could benefit from some more time in the waffle if the list is more complete there, because it certainly wasn't this year. And, I mean, if you have Williams as kind of that that extra to go forward sometimes, but, but still primarily as a ruck, I, I find that a lot more suitable. I would also mention, I'm just, this is some recency bias looking at, you know, I mostly watched the games where they played better because there were a lot of games that are just like, why am I even watching lists? So thinking of, you know, the one point loss to Essendon, the win over North, I liked Elijah Hewitt a lot. Oh yeah, I, I mentioned Hewitt already, glad that, that he and Jinbi got the Rising Star nominations. Hewitt was ready right from the beginning. Able to burst through stoppages like a player who's already gotten a few more seasons under his belt. That was how he was able to sneak a couple goals this year. I want to see more of that and a better connection with the Rucks will allow that as well. Um, And my appreciation for Jack Petrocelli grew this year as well once he had more of a midfield assignment. He's another one where his speed is maybe his best attribute. That's something I've always thought watching him as well. The speed really plays well into his game. I'm I've liked him. You know, there are all, there's a lot of dead weight on this list. He is not. Thinking about those last couple games as well, Zane True was still on the rookie list, had a great fourth quarter as a sub against the Bulldogs, kicked a goal, and helped set up the next one. I wanted to get more opportunities, and I hope that the one reason he didn't play in round 24 was because someone had to make way for Luke Shuey. He's the one that got that awesome golden shower that inspired maybe my best episode art of the season, although I've had some very good ones. If you haven't paid attention to kind of the, the graphics I do for every episode, there are some good ones in there. And then, wait, we've gone through this without talking about Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly, huge possession numbers. A lot of times the fantasy scores weren't great because he was kind of handball heavy, but he got after it just about every week and went toe-to-toe with some really good midfielders. He was a player that was often necessary to tag in. He needs some support in there, and healthy Hewitt and Jinby will most certainly help with that. Kelly deserves a lot of praise for being able to put up the numbers he did and just being the quality player that he is on that Eagle squad, and I shudder to think what they would have been without him this year. And then one more on the older side, Mr. Glassbones and Paperskin himself, Elliot Yo, in those last couple games, well, it, the last game he played was against the Dogs round 23 because he did his hamstring again because, of course, between the soft tissue stuff for this team and Elliot Yo, but they shifted him between the center and back, and it worked really well, and 
a, a question I have for Adam Simpson. I, I left this on Twitter. I'm not sure if, if it was addressed in any of the Q&As with uh, the Will Schofield host. I was wondering, you know, is that a plan for Yo next year, regardless of his health? Because it worked really well. I think the answer is probably it has to do with his health and also the depth of the midfield that's present, especially if Jinbi and Hewitt are getting steadier time there. I like a lot of the pieces on this team, but are they playing finals in the next three years? Highly unlikely. Yeah, Yo, like of all the guys to have constant injury issues like that, he's got to be one of the most frustrating because you see the talent, you see the high-end ability. That's someone that, you know, healthy would fit on any team. You see what's made him a two-time All-Australian. But but going into next year, some of the pieces that I'll be looking after, a lot more things will be defined by their trade period haul. Sounds like Tyler Brockman is keen on coming over, and he's got a really good connection with Liam Ryan, who hardly played this season due to injury. I'm not sure about Ryan's future. I think we've already seen the peak of him. I hope to be wrong, because damn, he's one of the most exciting players in the league still when healthy. There were talks about that maybe getting Zach Fisher. Sounds like North are players for him now. And a lot of the rest of it really depends on what they decide to do with pick one. Do they go for Harley Reid? Do they trade it to get another high pick and, and just some more bulk in the draft? If you're talking about bulk, though, uh, you want to talk about someone with muscle who I hope to be an eagle. Everybody saw his muscles recently. Devin Robertson. Devin Robertson. Please make it happen. He's Darren Glass's cousin. I, I've been very high on Devin Robertson for a while. I always thought of him as a player who would get a lot steadier time elsewhere, just with the depth that the Eagles have in the midfield. Both surprised and pleased that he still got time at AFL level with the addition of Josh Dunkley this year at Brisbane. Damn, I want him to come home. But I would not mind if uh, he came home with a premiership medal around his neck. Going to move on here then with team three of five. We know they'll be at least a little bit above the Eagles on the ladder. Yeah, there'll be two spots above them. Maybe the best 16th place team ever. Well, considering the league was 16 teams for a long time, it also kind of makes sense. It's Hawthorne, who finished 7-16 and 16 at 80.2%. They lost eight of their first nine games, only beating North, then used playing the Eagles and Launceston as a springboard to get into much better form Going into their bye, they had that comeback against the Saints with, uh, I think it was Jacob Kaziski that got the game winner before Luke Bruce sealed it. They controlled a lot of the game against the Brisbane Lions. They had consecutive wins against Collingwood and the Bulldogs. That one was also in Launceston. They're still a really tough out in Tasmania. They played the Crows tough there and Zach Weekend. The question is, are we still too bullish on them considering the way they ended the season? No, I don't think so at all, because I think the question was always, you know, will the Hawks have a shot to make the eight in 2024, or is that realistic in 2025? I think 26 to 27 is when you're really looking at flag contention. The question is, could they crack the eight next year? And I think it's not the most likely, but I think there's a world where it happens. You know, a favorable draw, good luck with injuries, which I think they actually had decent injury luck this year, especially in the midfield. I think a lot of their bigger outs were suspensions rather than injuries. Yeah, um, James Sicily being multiple of those suspensions. For a couple of those huge wins, it seemed like the price to pay was Sicily having to sit out. Had the game of his life. Having the time of his life. Against the Saints in that comeback win. What was it, 42 touches? I believe it was 42. Uh, of course, it's always the answer. 
and double-digit intercepts. Yeah, they, they did stay pretty healthy in the middle. When Will Day was out, that was to suspension from what I remember. Jai Newcomb and Connor Nash stayed healthy. That is a dynamite trio. And I think I learned the most, well, I learned a lot about Day this year with his versatility. They often had him as a spare back. I think on the smaller and mid-sized group of defenders, they're fine. It's the fact that they don't have a great key defender that is really worrisome and makes sense as to why they're in the race for Ben Mackay, for Asaba Radigalea. If they're offering Asaba $5 million over seven years, that is, I thought it was $7 million over five years. That makes more sense. That's still, regardless, it's overs. Yeah, it, it's massive overs. If that's what he's being offered, I'd say thanks for all the fun. Go get paid. Maybe you'll get a game or maybe you'll end up like Cooper Stevens. Give him back. He will get time. Trust me. There will be injuries to come up in that group. You'll see more time for Stevens. Henry Hustwaite, who played well near the end of the season when he got his debut. Cam McKenzie, who I remember. I liked Hustwaite especially. Yeah, and McKenzie played more in the beginning of the season. I also remember that he's fluent in French for some reason. I think like part of the reveal that he was debuting was like a like a fan letter that was in French. That was a good bit there. I believe they do call him Frenchy. And they have other key position needs in the forward 50 as well. You could tell how reliant they were on Luke Bruce and Mitch Lewis. Their absences were very telling, and it was more commonly Lewis. Though there was a time where Luke Bruce was at a bruised larynx, and he could hardly speak. Was that what it was? I remember Mason had a throat injury a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think that was what it was for, for Bruce to climb over 500 goals this year. Still looks like he's got a few more in him, but they need a steadier, taller target there. I don't think Brandon Ride is the complete answer, though I'm glad he was selected by them and got some time late in the season. Very disappointed he did not match up against his cousin Luke in round 24. I will remain disappointed by that, especially because it was a dead rubber. Thinking about the strikes for Hawthorne, it obviously does come from the middle. Solid two-way runners. They improved somewhat in terms of not letting teams out the back to score as much. This year, that was a huge problem of theirs last year. There were times when they seemed to have overexerted in the first two and a half, three quarters, and they came back to bite them late, but not nearly as much as last year. And I like how they have two potential taggers. You got Connor Nash who could take the bigger targets, and then Finn McGinnis who could shut down the likes of Nick Dacos and Clayton Oliver. There will be some cases where you might want to employ both of them as taggers. I'm not sure if we've seen that yet, but I think it's going to happen at some point, and I think Sam Mitchell will know when to do it. Yeah, other than his game plan in that dead rubber against Frio, I think he's done a phenomenal job. If this is your first time listening, I think Sam Mitchell is a really good coach, and I would be shocked if he doesn't end up being a premiership coach at some point. I think just his ability to come up with game plans that both fit his team and hamper his opponents are excellent. I think he's starting to clean up some of the things that were issues for the Hawks, such as, you know, struggling to play third quarters and close out some games. I think there are some very, very good times ahead. If you're able to keep around those four solid pieces that you already have in the back, thinking about guys like Blake Hardwick, for example, who is a very underrated small defender. You got Sicily and Hardwick there. That's a pretty steady, smaller defender duo, and it makes the tall key defender need just that more apparent that this is clearly something, I think their biggest need is a key defender even more than a key forward. And it makes sense then why their name is around in the discussions on Mackay and Radicalea. I mean, we Sam Frost is, that, is not that guy anymore. He had a few games that were respectable, and his far better games fit in the uh, 
the respectable tier. He's the guy for chaos still, unless he's already passed that torch to Mitch Hinge of Adelaide, which he may very well have. Uh, it'll still be called Frostball, though, right? I think so. I mean, he was captain of the All Chaos team for a reason. We know they're likely to lose Tyler Brockman, as we mentioned in the discussion on the Eagles, but they've, they've got the forward depth. It's a matter of outside Bruce, the set shot accuracy. Yeah, Dylan Moore really slipped in that area this year. That was one that really surprised me. Moore often had those like mid to high 20 disposal games, though, that helped set up their better targets like Lewis and Bruce. That was where I think he had a lot of value, maybe not at the end of possessions, but maybe kind of two thirds to three quarters of the way through. I'm still a believer in Dylan Moore, and I'm glad I held on to him in fantasy because I think he gave me 127 in the last round. Refresh me, Ethan, who was your sleeper pick for the Hawks this year? It was Sam Butler, who played in eight games, uh, total six goals. There were other guys on this list that impressed me far more. I think last year was the Jai Newcomb emergence. This year, it was Will Day. It was also a bounce back year for James Warple. Brian Myers' best friend, James Warple. I don't know about best friend. Well, well, good friend. Like Buster Posey's good friend, Hunter Pence. I think we would have seen more out of Jai Sarong if he had been healthier. Yeah, remember, he was battling uh, pericarditis for part of the season, but I think Tom Mitchell being absent allowed Warple to play a much more open game in the middle, and that suited him really well. I, I was not keen on Warple that much going into this season, and leave the season thinking that he could end up being a real leader in that midfield alongside Newcomb. You know, there's really no one player that blew me away and exceeded my expectations out of this group. I think it's just pretty much all of them collectively took that decent step forward that I was hoping to see. My sleeper pick was Lockie Bramble. Bramble was in for 11 games this year in a defensive role. Always seemed like a fringe player on the list and really remained there. A player who I thought of as a, a bit of a sleeper and I've learned a lot about. I think the whole league learned about this season with his switch forward really during the season in the twos was Denver Granger Barass. Yeah, I think he's still sort of a fringe guy. He's got a finals campaign with Box Hill where he can really have a chance to prove himself as a forward. In the five games that he played since coming back in for the first time around 17, in four of those, he kicked a goal, and in the other game, he played like Tony Snell. I, I was going to ask, didn't he have a Tony Snell stat line? I thought it was one of the games before he moved position, so thanks for clarifying that. No, that was the loss to Richmond, the one-pointer, so that particularly hurts there. I think I might just need to go back and watch that game again. That was a fun one. Yeah, I think that was also my game, so yeah, go Go give it a look. That was that was Matt Coulthard's debut, I think. I believe it was, yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of games, like, we've, that's another thing that we should do in the offseason, Ethan, is go back and, like, make a list of games you forgot about that you should take a look at again. Like, whether it's not a finalist, game that was overshadowed by another in the same window, things like that. What footy takes on not just the teams that missed out on the finals, and not just during this episode, Follow us on Twitter at Americans Footy. We're on YouTube under that same handle, and we'll definitely be more active with that in the offseason. And by we, it's probably going to mean me specifically. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe's on Instagram at Cat Named Brian. He's currently curled up sleeping on the bed. I know you like it better when he's spread out, but he's content. He's He's been sleeping a lot in different positions. It's been fun. 
I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. But enough about us. Let's see who's next here. The fourth team up in this first part of so you didn't crack the eight. Let's get cracking with the Bulldogs. Oh, God, yes. All right, so the Bulldogs, as we all know, finished ninth. They went 12 and 11. They had a better percentage than two finalists. Uh, they were 7 and 3 through round 10. They had won seven of eight games, and then they didn't win back to back games again the entire rest of the year. They also didn't beat a finalist the rest of the season. Their wins after beating the Crows round 10, which was a very impressive win in Ballarat, uh, they beat North. They kind of sent Frio back to Earth after Frio had got on their nice little run. They doubled up against Frio this year then because uh, the first time Rory Lopp made Frio forget how to play footy. They beat a lifeless Essendon team. They beat a Richmond team resting a couple guys. And they beat a Geelong team playing half of a VFL squad. And that actually forced a very rare thing to happen because Luke Beveridge switched up the Ruck matchup on Toby Conway. If, if Luke Beveridge makes an adjustment centered around you and countering you, that is just about the highest praise that you could get in the world of footy because Luke Beveridge doesn't make in-game adjustments. And we saw that far too much this year, especially against some of those lesser teams against whom they lost. Thinking about, for example, against the Eagles. There was no limo in that game, and it actually mattered. They didn't move Bailey Smith in there. They didn't move Jack McRae in there. It, it, it made no sense. You have the pieces there. This is this is a very top-heavy list, and that's some criticism there that, you know, the middle and bottom part of the list may not be up to AFL standard. The wasting of top-tier talent, particularly in the midfield, but e even up forward, you have your top three goal scorers combined for 113 goals, 44 from Aaron Naughton, 35 from Jamar Ewell Hagen, and 34 from Cody Waitman. You let that go to waste. Plus another career year from Marcus Bontempelli. Another amazing year out of Tom Liberatore, who was cursed to never make the All-Australian team, which is a fucking joke. Like Reading not being a city. Yeah, except that's funny. And then Adam Trelore is somehow undervalued because he's playing in their shadow, and he's top three on the team in disposals, contested possessions, clearances, and score involvements. I, I guess from a fantasy standpoint, the thing that knocks him down a little bit is that he's Sometimes got these games where he's pretty handball heavy. That's not who would you have put Libba in over just looking at the all Australian team? That, that's a really hard choice because I very much respect the inclusion of Caleb Sarong, who, who did oftentimes, you know, even with the year that Andrew Brayshaw had last year, he regressed a bit outside of fantasy scoring and even a bit in fantasy scoring, actually. But Caleb Sarong and Tom Liberatore were the two best contest players in the AFL this season. Even above locking Neil, and it was hard to believe Neil was left out. Jack Viney also being left out is kind of insane. He was in the 44-man squad. Um, Jeez, it, it, it's really tough to try and... There is a poll on the AFL website, who is the unluckiest player to miss out, and with more than twice as much vote as anybody else, it is Libba. Um, he's at 26%, then you've got Other at 13%, Rowan Marshall at 12%, locking Neil at 11 and it descends from there. You know what? Liva over Zach Merritt. That's exactly what I was going to say. I respect the year that Merritt had, um, but I find it hard for me to think that over the course of the full season, Merritt had more value overall than Liva. I mean, I, I respect the hell out of the players that they included, but I think Merritt was one that could have been replaced by Liva or Neil. While, while we're on the subject, let's see, which other changes? Um, I, would, I think you got to get Harris Andrews in there, probably over... 
I guess Cal Wilkie, maybe over Dan Houston. I think Wilkie had a more consistent year than Andrews. And if you're looking to really go like by true positions here, I mean, Petrak is listed at forward. I know he didn't. Petrak at half forward, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I have no problem with that. Um, You could make a case, honestly, like for Josh Dacos to come out for some of the other midfield candidates. That's good years he had. I wouldn't stay Harris Andrews for Darcy Moore. I, I mean, he's a guy that the first two months of the season, along with Jordan Dawson, we were thinking is potentially All-Australian captain contenders. Watch watch Dawson be the All-Australian captain next year. I would have honestly been fine with Dawson missing out for a couple of these other candidates. Dawson for Neil? Maybe that's recency bias because he started the year so well and, you know, towards the end of the year was just good. I was surprised but very glad that Charlie Cameron made it again on the forward line. He's one of those players where it isn't entirely about the goals he scores even when he is a prolific scorer. He's still someone that can, that can set up other targets well also. And that's a huge credit to Taylor Walker as well, where I think he doesn't get nearly enough praise. Yes, he had the career year in front of the six. He kicked, I believe, 76 goals. I'd still probably go Oscar Allen over Cameron. Remember, I'm not the Eagles member here. That's really tough to, to only have one true small forward in there. Feels weird. By the way, fuck yes, Toby Green. Toby Green all-Australian captain, as he deserved to be. Well, here's the thing. I would probably have gotten Andrews in there, but Cameron's the only Brisbane Lion, which is kind of insane with how good that team is. Yeah, um, Andrews, Neil, and Joe Danaher were also in the 44-man squad. We got what? Three from Collingwood, three from Port. I fully approve of Dan Houston being in this year with his full oval capabilities, and not just, I mean, I, I bet the after the siren goal, put him over the line. Yeah, it probably did, because it's a memory, you know, it's an iconic, memorable thing. But one of the best kicks out of the back and just a penetrating kick anywhere on the field. Nine goals this year is a career high. Anyway, we started talking about this. You know what? Honestly, I'd be more comfortable with leaving out Stewart than Wilkie. I disagree there. You're the Cats fan. I mean, he had like two bad games all year. Maybe it's because we're used to better from him still. The same argument can be made for Dusty at times, even with the slow start to the season he had. I'm shocked that Dusty was the only Tiger that made the 44. As I mentioned earlier, Taranto missing out on the 44 is probably the biggest shock out of that. Yeah. But but let's get back to the point here as we're talking about the dogs. Yes, yeah, so they had two All-Australians, probably should have had a third. The other one, of course, was the best and most versatile ruck in the competition, Tim English. And yet, this team isn't even playing finals. And watch out also because English, Naughton, Eugle Hagen, and Bailey Smith are all out of contract after next season. This sort of wasted talent, in a way, reminds me of the Angels. You know the difference between this wasted talent and the Angels' wasted talent? Well, some of these guys did actually win a flag. That's one thing. The other big thing is, unlike the Angels' wasting talent, this doesn't make me happy. I don't have anything against the Dodgers. They're one of the more likable teams. Luke Beveridge is a great quote. I think he'll have a good media career whenever he decides to stop coaching. I think that could be as early as 2025. I think it should have happened already. If you remember from listening to us last year, if you listened to us during our first season, when that news came in that he had been extended, we were very much opposed to it. And nothing this year ended up changing our minds on that. Reminder, he has yet to make the top four. Yes, he's got a flag. Yes, he's got another grand final appearance. But no top four finishes. This is a team that is mired in... It's unnecessarily mired in that sort of mediocre part of the ladder. Five through eight, and I guess this year going down into nine. Shut your mouth, you mediocre footy coach. Mediocre? The season's 
since Marcus Baldinpelli's debut. He debuted in 2014. They have finished 14th, 6th, 7th, 10th, 13th, 7th, 7th, 5th, 8th, 9th. Yeah, I, I mean, that 2015 is when Bebo came in, so go figure. Now, I can't pin this 100% on him. No, I mean, you got to pin this at least somewhat on list management with some of the issues they had filling out the 22. My biggest issue wasn't just, you know, them figuring out kind of the back of the 22, but also they had this weird amalgamation of talls that they could rarely get right. Round 24 was like one of the only times you saw like a sort of sense of what to properly do there where they moved Rory Lobb around. They had him kind of go as Ruckman and took Tim English out of center bounces. Lobb as a Ruck Rover worked really well. You saw that late in the season and maybe that's something that can keep clicking into 2024. He kicked three goals each of the final two games where he hadn't done that all season before that, which is kind of mind boggling. He had gotten dropped at one point. And it was deserved, but I wonder how much of that's on him and how much of that is just they didn't put him in position. He was dropped for rounds 18 and 19, the loss to Collingwood and the win over Essendon. I, I mean, if we're thinking about the bottom of the list, I mean, there there were a couple injuries this year that definitely upset things there and forced some guys in that maybe weren't as deserving. Not having Sam Darcy available for nearly the entire year definitely hurt with the various injuries he had. That didn't help, but it also could have made their weird group of talls even more overcrowded. I think he would have mostly played in the back. I think that would have been a vote of confidence for Dalton to stay up front. I mean, maybe that's also why we didn't see much of Buku Kamas, because he's on the taller side, as much as we love Buku. But, but thinking about kind of these guys that were on the bottom of the list, Mitch Hannon was injured. He, we know he won't be offered a contract for next year. You had Hayden Crozier in and out because he was hurt as well. Josh Bruce is retiring after doing his other ACL. His move to the back still confuses us, but that's just another part of that weird tall mix. Taylor DeRay is 32 and is not the player he was when he was winning flags at Hawthorne. No, he, he was one of those guys that I don't think on a lot of lists would be getting steady time. Here's where list management comes in. Like the top 10 to 15 players are as good as any, but obviously guys like, I don't know, 16 through 23 or so, or not, and then when you get down to, like, guys 23 through 30, then it gets really rough, and you need to have 30 guys that are capable of playing a game. Even if some of those last few guys aren't that good, you know, they need to be guys that you can stomach throwing out there for a few weeks at a time. Like, guys that are at least replacement level. Like, that's where I look at Geelong last year, Melbourne this year, Port Adelaide this year, like I think Francis Evans is a great example of it. I mean, I'm glad he steadily worked his way into the their lineup and has proven people wrong. They were kicked three goals in the final round, including one of the best plays of the round. That awesome soccer charging in from the side of the goal square. We are big Frank Evans believers here, even though he doesn't have a streak anymore. Yeah, like some of the guys here, uh, here's a list of everyone who got games this season for the dogs. And if I interrupt you, you're going to start again. Or are you just going, like, alphabetically, numerically? What's the deal? Actually, you know what? I'm not going to go through the full list because that would that would take a while. But I'm going to just give you a few here that... How, how about you go with anybody who got single digits in games? Actually, let's make the cutoff... I'm going to put the cutoff at 11 games, actually. Or you know what? 12. 12. Half of the season. All right. Riley West played 12. I liked some pieces of Riley West showed well near the end of the year. One of their father's-son picks. I think he had a better showing against Geelong in particular. James O'Donnell played 12, and while he was a great story, he's not up to the level that... No, not up to fullback level yet, but worked his way in to yeah. better. 
it, the it, sort of guy that like a team like Hawthorne would have been an awesome year to have a guy like him. But when you're in the position the dogs are, that just doesn't fit well. Give me another year to evaluate him, and I think I'll, I'll get a much clearer picture on him. Good enough summer for him, and I can understand him holding down a spot in the 22, honestly. I, I like what I saw in July and August from the former cricketer. Oh, wait, they have multiple former cricketers. Latham Vandermeer, 11 games. He actually played really well in round 24 in that third quarter before getting subbed out, because that was a, a calf issue there, I think. Yeah, but otherwise... Very versatile player. Maybe, maybe the issue is this is not a coach and a coaching staff that knows how to properly use a guy like him, that sort of Swiss Army knife who, jack of all trades, master of none. He's the sort of guy who Richmond, I think, could do a lot with. Oh, absolutely. Jason Johannesson. Him getting hurt was killer because he was, he was playing really well. You want to find something that's hard to pin on coaching or list management? Jason Johannesson missed rounds 11 through 19. Yeah, Johannesson started off the year really well at halfback. He was really making up for Caleb Daniel's move forward. That was one of the things that worked in terms of coaching this year. Moving Caleb Daniel up to half board where he could use his good kicking on either foot to get later involvements in scoring chains and kick some goals himself. That worked. Big believer in both of those players still. Hoping Johannesson can stay healthy. He is now 30 years old though. I only just realized, I think he wears number 39 because that was the pick with which he was selected in the rookie draft back in 2011. Oh, okay. Let's see. A few others. Ryan Gardner played 10 games. We've talked about him. Excuse me, what do we call him? Tiga Masala. Uh, Caleb Polder, nine games. Actually a really solid mid-season draft pick, I thought. Yeah, it was an elevation from their VFL list. Another good full field kick on the smaller side. It's just a matter of where do you deploy him, because I don't think he's really a good defender. He's, he's, he's not so much short, but he's skinny. A ball-moving defender, which is good to have, but yeah, I think we're a really good precision kick. Yeah, you have those kinds of guys already, though. So I'd like to see him more as playing off-center bounces, like right there in the back six, and as soon as the ball bounces, try to have him get up to a win spot. Uh, Josh Bruce, nothing more needs to be said. Tim O'Brien kind of ended up just in there, usually when Alex Keith wasn't. Keith was, was concussed, had a couple other injuries this year. He played better in the back half of the season as well. Toby McLean, the first unused sub of three this season. The other two were both Sydney Swans, Ryan Clark in the draw against Geelong, and Aaron Francis in this final round. McLean was unused against Hawthorne round seven. Uh, Mitch Hannon, six games. Hayden Crozier, four games. Sam Darcy, Robbie McComb, and Riley Garcia, each three. Buku Kamis and Luke Cleary, each one game. You know, the more I look at the actual list here, they have the talent to go up against anyone. I mean, depth-wise, like, a 20-year-old Riley Garcia playing three games is not the end of the world. Luke Cleary getting a game is not the end of the world. I, the more I look at this, the more I really think it's on the people putting the magnets on the board and devising the strategies for these guys. Because look at how underutilized Latham Vandermeer was. I know we've gone on for a lot here. I just want to throw in a couple more things. Liam Jones, starting this year absolutely on fire. One of the biggest reasons that they were 7-3. and three. And then teams adjusted to him, because he's at his best kind of as a roaming, sweeping intercept defender. Especially deeper in defense, kind of a center fullback almost. He likes kind of being parked around the goal square, but you force him into one-on-ones, he turns subpar. There were a few different ways teams went about this. Round 12, Geelong just kicked shorter and settled for longer shots. You know, they weren't usually getting too much from within 30 meters, and that was okay. And then there were other teams that just started engaging him one-on-one -on -one because 
He's not the sort of physical guy that's going to annihilate you in a one-on-one battle. Case in point, the West Coast Eagles with Jack Darling. You want to point to one coaching thing that won them that game? Jack Darling. In terms of like a, just a player taking over in that game, it was Jamie Cripps kicking five, but otherwise, Adam Simpson and their staff of Luke Webster, the forward coach, making sure that Darling stayed with Liam Jones. Jones still, you know, I didn't think of him as the centerpiece of that back six. That was Ed Richards, and his emergence continued this year. It was a shame that he got hurt during that Geelong game, because that was a gettable game for them otherwise. I think it was close to level when he went out. That said, their biggest issue against Geelong, and this is emblematic of their coaching issues, after all these years, they still have no idea what to do against Tom Stewart, which makes no sense. He's a known commodity. I think just a couple other things about this team I want to wrap up with. I thought Anthony Scott actually had a pretty solid season and was the sort of depth piece they need more of. We constantly talked about him as a sort of right place, right time player. Kind of wild that he only had 12 goals for the whole season. Yeah, he played in 22 games. I think the only one he missed, he was concussed. He was subbed out against Richmond and missed round 22 against Hawthorne, so that checks out. Yeah, he kicked 12 goals, but they came in nine different games. He scored three in the win against the Blues, two in the win against the Crows at Ballarat, and had seven one-goal performances. So almost Alex Neal Bullen-like there. Yeah, he had this streak of six consecutive games with a goal, rounds six through 11, and they won the first five of those. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the other one, like, he he could have been one of the people to come into the middle, lower his head, and get some of those, those contests that Liba got. I think the other one that is kind of indicative of this season for them was Oscar Baker, who got off to a really nice start, and then they kind of left him in there, kind of hung him out to dry as he became less effective, and then we didn't see anywhere near as much of him in the second half of the season. I think it's just another situation of coaches not really knowing what to do with a guy. He played all their games before their bye, so he played all 14 of those, was subbed out in round 19, subbed in in round 22, and played all of the final two games. I still don't know what to think of him. I think he's another one of their their players with, with good speed, maybe not a player that can go in the contest, but the type of energizing half forward that can work in that lineup if he gets steady time. I imagine that they're seeing what we're seeing from the other side of the Pacific with much more footy experience, but there are a lot of things that make me doubt the whole dog's coaching staff and and their whole footy department, and I don't want to doubt them. I I want this team to actually live up to their potential, especially on the top end of things. It's going to be so disappointing, honestly, if Bontempelli wins the Brownlow and he's just sitting there and you look at the rest of the leaderboards like, these are guys that made finals. If not, you know, being in the grand final with Nick Dacos, Christian Petraka, Lockheed Neal, all expected to pull high. The sleeper picks. Let's revisit those. Yours actually didn't get a game. It was Don Bedendo. Yeah, I was kind of struggling to find someone after you took Riley West, and we couldn't really use Buku Kamis because a year earlier would have been good for that. I know he was injured a decent amount this year. That definitely hampered things there. Only played a couple games in the VFL, so just a, a mind player this year. We'll get a better read on him next year. I did choose Riley West, and I got enough out of him to be pleased with that pick. I think it was off the back of a couple of performances he had the previous year that I chose that. He played 12 games this year, round two, and then every game for round 13, and he had a five-game goal streak of his own. I want to see him get in there as more of a tackler. He had seven of them against Hawthorne, may have been pressed more into that role, more of a center role once Tom Libertori went out. But there, there are support pieces there. We haven't even talked about Bailey Williams, who started off the season pretty hot. 
he had some games at the start of the year that were really good, and then he was less and less involved for a stretch. And I just, I want to go back and figure this thing out. Yeah, because looking back, he had three goals from 23 disposals against Frio round six, that Anzac Friday game where Rory Lobb ended up freaking out the entire Frio list and their fan base. Had a couple of goals at Darwin when they lost to the Suns. And then you saw his disposal numbers take a bit of a dive going into the back of the season. Was moved down to the sub for round 19, and after that, didn't get above 17 again. So yeah, I, I think we're going to need to do some film review there. We, we need to pick out, like, we seriously, I mentioned this on the other side of the break, we need to pick out underrated games to go back and look at, whether it's for something strategic or just a forgotten matchup. And, and I think which game we pick that involves the Bulldogs will serve us really well there to analyze them. All right, well, last one of this episode. We got six teams left. Give her a spin. I have given a spin. I think we're saving the cats for next time. And we're saving, uh, well, we're not saving the bottom two for next time because we're getting that out of the way here. Uh, well, the Kangas ended the year with a win. North Melbourne finished in 17th. They were 3-20 at 71.5%. They won their first two games, including a win at Frio. I remember that one had a pretty controversial conclusion. Harry Sheasel just kicked the ball away in the final seconds, and it was determined, I think correctly, that the Sirens had it before the ball went out of bounds, and so Deliberate could not be paid. They then lost 20 straight, and then beat the Suns down in Tasmania to close the season. They are the only team to not beat a finalist this year. Brett Ratton coached 10 games, rounds 10 through 20, while Alistair Clarkson was on leave, and really deserved a win. I don't think he's like this great cutting-edge head coach, but he kept things from imploding. They had only two games they lost by more than 50 under him. They had three losses within a goal, another by eight points against the Saints that they led most of the way. Really, other than getting knocked around at Adelaide and at Geelong, they actually did pretty well, I guess. And, I mean, the sixth, goal, the sixth goal loss to Hawthorne, the Collingwood loss by 35, you know, they were getting killed early and then made things a bit more respectable. But honestly, I felt so bad that he didn't get a win. He deserved one. Yeah, um, the number 76 comes back to haunt him because that first game he coached was round 10, and that was the interchange breach game. Uh, that, that one just, that one hurts to think about. That's another one where had that not happened, the Swans would have been left out of the eight. However, I, I, I'm honestly more content with having the Swans in than the Dogs there, so I don't really mind. But seriously, that one hurts so much. Really fun watch. Uh, again, probably another underrated game, especially considering how Essendon finished the season. Both the clashes they had. You had the one that Massimo D'Ambrosio won as the super sub in the final couple minutes. That was round 12. That was not a bad loss. That was just, you know, they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And at the time, Essendon was pretty solid. Obviously, Essendon did have their struggles against bottom teams, but that game... Felt less like they struggled and more that North played pretty well. And, and then you look at the final round and you see Nick Larkey kicking nine and Eddie Ford kicking three. I think I queued you in on Eddie Ford before you queued me in on him. Whichever way it went, I'm thrilled that he got his first win and I'm thrilled that we started paying attention to him like we should. He's much more than just a forward target. Good mark all over the field. His kicking has gotten smarter as well. A pretty complete player who... Finally got his first win in his 22nd game. Sorry, Greg Clark, I, I think you're the new king there. Oh, and uh, Larky, 71 goals, third in the Coleman, on a bottom two team. On a team where opponents come in knowing 
our biggest job defensively is to shut this guy down. And he still went off. He was fantastic. And unlike Oscar Allen, they never switched him to the back to try and change things up. Some of the criticism with him being in the All-Australian team was that he's purely a finisher, doesn't set up other people. But when you're as reliable a shot he is, I think he was like the best volume shot in the league this year in terms of accuracy. No, I completely get why he's in the All-Australian team. And I'm glad he made it. 71-24, that, that absolutely deserved being included. Harry Sheasel, deserving rising star. He broke the first-year player disposal record. His instincts are great. And remember, he was a forward before this year. Th- that's the craziest part about all this. I love the interview after his very first game where he said, like, yeah, they basically just told me to stand there. Like, he'd been playing there for about four weeks and went off for, like, 30-plus disposals in his first game. Yes, against the Eagles, but still. And that was when the Eagles were largely healthy, too. Yeah, he had 34 in his first game, ended the season with 622. I mean, he averaged over 27 a game. I believe it was Scott Russell's record that he broke, which had stood for 33 years there. And it wasn't just volume. People were criticizing him for taking kick-ins earlier in the year. He was not that guy for a lot of the year, though. He earned those touches. He went to the right spots. Really strong on the ground as well. Good below his knees. A really, really complete player. And I have no idea where he's going to be playing going forward. I imagine it's going to be in the back still while their defense is out of depth. George Wardlaw was the name that was kind of coupled with him throughout the preseason, and hamstring injuries limited Wardlaw's contributions, but I thought he was pretty good when he was out there as a tackler, going for contested possessions. Excited to see more of him. Yeah, especially with the depth that they still have in the middle. If you end up getting all of Wardlaw, Luke Davis, Uniac, Jai Simkin, Bailey Scott healthy, Hugh Greenwood, an extra piece there as well, goes hard in the contest. I I think with those injuries to... Really, the rest of that lot, people took more nose to Bailey Scott this year, and I'm glad. I think Greenwood as well. He had a couple of games, those first couple without Simkin and Davies Uniac, where he just went off, and obviously Wardlaw was still hurt at that time. I wonder, maybe another year from now, North looked to trade some of that midfield to maybe stock up defensively. I wouldn't think that they'd trade Davies Uniac or Simkin. No, I was thinking trade Greenwood or maybe Scott. I mean, if if Hugh Greenwood's like your fifth or sixth best midfielder and you've got all these problems defensively, that seems like a logical move to me. At 31, though, I'm not sure how many would take a flyer on him. 31, but because of all his time playing basketball, he's definitely got more left in the tank than your typical player of his age. Right, Hugh Greenwood, former New Mexico Lobo, we say to the chagrin of our friend Rick Shibani. Yeah, we're, we're still big Greenwood believers. It would be interesting to see him go on to a fourth club. Defensively, outside of Ben Mackay, it was rough. I mean, Sheasel moving the ball, great, but it's not like he was asked to, you know, take guys on one-on-one. I, open field stuff he could do, you know, he could sense when to kind of move into the right zone for Marks. But no, not one-on-one is not his task. And with Mackay almost certainly moving on, a lot more responsibility will rest on guys like Josh Goder. I'm a big believer in Goder, but he was sidelined for a decent part of the season himself. Miller Bergman will need to be thrust into more something, maybe further back there. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Sheasel does end up learning kind of the finer points defensively. I think that's going to be a big priority for that. It's just the matter of getting that key tall. Griffin Logue got hurt. That didn't help. Yeah, he did his ACL against Geelong, I believe so. He'll miss maybe the first half of next year. That's really going to bite. Aaron Hall retired. I thought Jackson Archer was all right. Maybe you get something out of... I mean, he's also on the pretty small side there, though. You're talking about all these guys that's just 
where where's the height? Where's the power in the defense? And there's really nothing to be found there. That's got to be attacked at the draft. If the Eagles go for Harley Ritter, even if they don't, you've got a key defender there right at the top in Dan Curtin. Make sure he's at home in Victoria. Don't let him go home to the West and get him to be that key guy for you from the beginning. You know who I thought actually played really well of their defenders in round 24 after not doing much of anything most of the year was Aiden Core, who even kicked a goal. Yeah, that was a weird one. Once I saw Aiden Core going forward and kicking a goal, I realized, oh shit, they're actually doing this. He's 29. I don't know if, you know, what his ceiling is. Yeah, his, I never thought that his decision-making in defense was the best. Noticed him giving up a lot of frees last year, I think more than this year. Speaking of bad decision-making, it was a bad year for Luke McDonald. Uh Got better, kind of past like the 70% point of the season, had a few good games in a row before getting hurt himself. Aiden Bonner only got in two games this year, but he's only 24. He's also on the smaller side, but could be someone that maybe bounces back next year if he stays on the list. It, it just feels so like I'm so exasperated talking about this list, though, when I'm just hearing all these these names just like, no, too small, not a defender. All right, well, here's a small who played as a defender and actually did really well, and is going to be one of the most interesting names this offseason, Taron Thomas. I mean, he can play pretty much anywhere, and I know you want him at the Cats very, very badly. I have no idea what ties to other clubs he has. I mean, he doesn't have any hometown place to go because he's from North Launceston. It's really funny to me. If you had told me at the start of this season, two guys who would have been interested in Geelong picking up and... Talk more about this next episode for a couple of reasons. But if you had told me with his off-field stuff that I'd be interested in Taron Thomas, that would be wild. And if you told me I'd be interested in Liam Henry, that would be wild. And I wouldn't mind either of those now. But yeah, Thomas was possessed at the end of the season. He was... Oh, no. His motor's always super high. When he gets in a game, when he's got his head on straight, he attacks the game like few others do. And he's one of the most exciting players to watch when he does. You just need to find a way to consistently get that out of him, keep his investment there. And I don't know what it's going to take, but some club ought to be able to turn him into something. And I would love for it to be the Cats. Need to change his number, obviously, but uh, would love for it to be the Cats. My biggest conclusion, I, I guess we're going a little out of order, go with this conclusion before talking about kind of the sleeper picks. But in a lot of ways, this was kind of an incomplete year because they had a big chunk in the middle without their head coach. I would have liked for them to win another game or two. They very easily could have. I think we'll understand a lot more about them after a year without any sort of weird coaching stuff. I would just like to see them get to maybe, I don't know, five wins next year. Five, six, I think, is attainable. And, you know, I think the compensation for Makai when he does go, and I think it's a when as opposed to an if, I'd be shocked if he stays, even as a restricted free agent. I think the compensation for that will determine a lot. It could be as high as pick three Whatever they do with that Makai compensation will be key in how they continue to construct themselves, whether that's, like, I, I think Curtin is a must for them. You got to expect Reed's going number one to someone if it's not the Eagles. Stand Pat's there, get the defender, and build your draft from there. I, I want a complete gear for them. I want good things for the club. We'll get nice also maybe for some more stability there with Sonia Hood's cancer treatment having gone well. There, there are so many likable people at this club. I, I just want them to do better, and I don't want any club to be a perennial laughing stock. And there are a couple I wouldn't mind that. Uh, I wouldn't want it for free, even as an Eagles fan. 
you'd want it for the Swans in Collingwood. Minus Mason. Carlton. Ah, you know what? I might make an exception for the Blues. Okay. Uh, sleeper picks. Who is yours? Uh, and Flynn Perez. And he's not someone that we mentioned yet. I guess that's a good thing that he wasn't mentioned when we talked about negatives defensively. Well, Perez only got five games this year, which was part of it. He can, he's played forward and back. Still not super clear on what I want from him in the long term. He's a uh, 187 centimeters, so 6'2", so not overwhelmingly big. A good mark, but maybe not as durable as some of the other players. I, I think the jury's still out on Flynn Perez. I think the same kind of goes for my pick, Miller Bergman, as opposed to his brother, who was surprisingly named to the 22-22 team. I still think it should have been Trenton Rivers over him, but I like Miles. Miles, not Jason Horn, Francis Bergman. You know who else I kind of like? Getting involved for North on the younger side, Curtis Taylor. He was someone who divided a lot of people for a chunk of the season. Seemed like his better games came with Clarkson in as opposed to Ratton, so make of that what you will. Paul Curtis also kicked four goals in the loss to the Eagles and two in the win over the Suns to round out the season. He's only 20. You've got the midfield group there, so maybe just like an, another good four target or two will be able to free him up more often. I think the instincts are there for him. He kicked some brilliant goals this year, had a potential goal of the year nominee against Sydney. There's there's so much to like about this North team, and it's a matter of putting it together, having a steady couple of years to do that, and then really taking stock from there and seeing how viable this thing is to make a finals run in the short term. I think best case scenario for them is they're like, what, a year or two, probably two years behind where Hawthorne are, where you're looking at like 2027 or 28 as a real time to crack finals. I mean, they best case scenario, I think, if everything hits, this could be a finalist by 2026, if everything hit, and if they can retain players, which is the biggest issue. We'll get to a lot more stuff about retaining players come free agency time. I'm sure we'll be talking a bunch about Ben McKay in the coming week. I mean, he he is clearly the big fish defensively. With that, we're going to wrap things up here. If your team didn't make the eight and we haven't talked about you yet, don't worry, that'll happen next time. And I think next time, actually, honestly... I think is going to be a bit of a better episode. No disrespect to the teams we discussed here, which are actually the lower five alphabetically, I just realized. Yeah, we got uh, Adelaide, Essendon, Fremantle, Geelong, and Gold Coast for episode 133, so you didn't crack the eight part two. And we got some fun with that too. I think we got our, we got the biggest underachiever out of the way with the Bulldogs. And I, I think we got our visceral irritation out of the way with them. With the other clubs... Maybe we'll be a bit more measured. I think there's going to be a there'll be a good share of disappointment in there, though. Maybe not necessarily at these teams. Maybe at a goal umpire. Don't forget, we're on Twitter at Americans Footy. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatBaneGrian. He is still sleeping on my bed. And that's what I'm going to do now as well. Except on your own bed. Yeah, uh... I'm not going to sleep on the same bed as you. That that's that would just be weird. Tugs at collar. You know who I think could actually solve a lot of the bulldogs' problems? What are you going to say, Ryan Myers? Guatemalan human rights activist Rigoberta Menchu. This isn't being included. No, it's not. But it 
probably threw you off. It was probably not what you were expecting. 